There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free this is tracy v wilson from stuff you missed in history class the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. You and Me Both is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Hillary Clinton, and this is You and Me Both. I don't know about you, but the number one thing that keeps me up at night these days is the fragile state of democracy in our country. Over the past years, we've lived through some alarming assaults that have been decades in the making. You know, I saw unnerving signs that there were those who wanted to undermine our institutions, destroy the rule of law, rig and uh, take over our elections and not make it possible for a lot of people to fully participate. I saw all of that as a first lady, a senator, a presidential candidate, a secretary of state. And yet, even with all of that, I am surprised at how far these efforts have come. I may not hold public office anymore, but I remain as committed as ever to doing everything I can to protect and preserve our democracy. And over the course of this season of You and Me Both, we're going to take a hard look from various vantage points about the state of our democracy. I'll be talking to experts and leaders and advocates who are doing incredible work on the front lines. Today, to kick us off, we're looking at how our democracy is doing at the state and local level, which, sad to say, is not so great. Now, later, we're going to hear from a phenomenal young elected public servant out of Texas, Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo. But first, I'm talking to Ohio-based political strategist David Pepper. David is someone I've known and admired for quite some time. Back in his home state of Ohio, he has served on the Cincinnati City Council and as chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party. David's the author of a new book called Laboratories of Autocracy, And he explains in the book 
about all the ways that a state and its powers can impact on our lives. He's got an incredible grasp of what's happening, not only in Ohio, but more generally at the state level. And he's got a way of explaining it so that we can all understand. So that's why I'm so excited to have him on this podcast. The first question I had for David is, what led him to write this new book? What was he seeing in his state of Ohio and beyond across our country? I had no intention of writing a book at all last year, but by about April, my level of alarm about the state-level attacks on democracy that most folks don't see or the media doesn't cover got so heightened that I started frantically writing this book to sound the alarm. And the subtitle is A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. And that's literally why I wrote it, was to say, all those out there, you know, in different parts of the country, you have to pay attention to these state house attacks on democracy. They're relentless and they're effective. And if we don't do something about them in almost every way we think about politics, they will continue in in downward spiral. And even since I've written it, it's gotten worse. So I appreciate the chance to talk about today. Well, the title of your book, Laboratories of Autocracy, is a play on the wonderful phrase from uh, Supreme Court Justice Brandeis, his idea that states are the laboratories of democracy. In other words, you know, states could try different things, how best to provide health care or educate kids, all kinds of experimentation, which then could be proven at the state level and other states could follow and even the national uh, federal government could learn. And so the idea that you took what was viewed as a very positive description of what states could do, laboratories of democracy, and turned it on its head to be laboratories of autocracy, I think goes right to the heart of the problem. Most people, David, don't know or realize how much power state legislatures, state governments have. Right. And and Justice Brandeis was right. You know, we've seen whether it was the Affordable Care Act coming out of state ideas, whether it was the battle to create marriage equality, that was state-level momentum I turned the title on its head because folks turned the role of states on their head over the last 40 years. And, you know, this sounds disrespectful. There are a lot of good state reps working very hard. But the broader point is that state houses basically have emerged as the Achilles heel of American governance because of a mismatch. Huge amounts of power. No one knows about it. That's not good for democracy. The power is over almost every issue we care about in politics, economics, social policy, climate change. But then there's also the immense power over democracy itself. You know, they set the rules of the elections for the most part, although Congress can and should do more to fight back on those. They draw the district lines, as Donald Trump figured out too late. But it's the fact they control the electoral college process in many ways. So huge power over the substantive things we all care about. And then a huge power over democracy itself. Almost no one knows. But here's the Mm -hmm. bad news. Certain insiders figured it out, as you pointed out for years, decades ago. And if certain insiders figure it out with a lot of money and the average person doesn't know it, things get ugly real quick. And that's sort of what the book walks through. Well, I think it's such an important point. And I tried to sound the alarm starting in the 90s that there really was a well-organized and extremely well-funded effort to take over state houses, state elected offices, state judicial systems, local offices, and not just to wield power, but to wield power for purposes that sadly redound to the benefit of those on the right, corporate power, ideological power, even in some cases, religious power. And Donald Trump sort of lit an even bigger fire under it. And so now Clearly, it's on steroids. But let's start with Ohio, because that's Mm -hmm. where you've been living and working most of your adult life. I mean, one of the things I was surprised about when I was running for president in 2016 is how effectively the Ohio government apparatus had purged 
voters. Right. Millions of Ohio voters who had voted in 2008 and 2012, mostly yeah. for Barack Obama, were wiped from the voting rules. And I did not know that until, you know, I got into it. Yeah. There's a group of people who understand that their worldview would not survive in a robust democracy. Right. Trickle-down economics would not survive in a robust right. democracy. Too many people are left out. Attacking Roe v. Wade nonstop. The crazy gun laws. None of that would survive in a world of robust democracy. They know that. So while we're fighting over elections, they're fighting democracy itself because only by keeping it at bay can they get their worldview in place long term. They need suppressed democracy. So decades ago, they understood that state houses are the heart of democracy and they could weaponize state houses to both, you know, get their substantive ends done in undemocratic state houses, as well as use state houses to subvert democracy. Therefore, they could get a worldview that's a minority view that would not survive in a diverse majority, which we are today. And that's that's really what they've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Ohio, we are the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, we weren't just blue in 08 for Obama. Ted Strickland was the governor, our good friend. We had a democratic state house. And what they showed over the next decade, they were so furious that Obama turned Ohio blue in 08, not just because it was about the presidency, what happened when he went in 08? That Obama coalition won us the state house. Mm -hmm. We had 10 members out of 18 of Congress, Democrats did after 08. So the Obama coalition, more than just Obama, was this massive threat. And as we saw beginning in 10, they went to town, intentionally going after the coalition that they knew was a threat long-term, that represented the majority that would otherwise never let them accomplish their substantive goals. So they went after early vote because that was the way that Obama coalition voted disproportionately. They went after young voters, but the tool they used in Ohio that was so effective, like Georgia, was purging. And by the way, just to be clear to, to voters who may not know this, you can update your voting rules quite simply based on who's passed away and who's moved. The post office generates the list of who's moved on a regular basis. Health departments generate lists of who's passed away. That's not hard to do. It's a 21st century. In Ohio, they also are purging people who vote infrequently. That's right. That's the net that has caught up millions of voters, disproportionately Obama voters, your voters, Democratic voters. And as I walk through in the book, in your campaign, Herculean effort to find those purge voters in 16, months of it. But even with the resources and the capacity of your campaign, it's what everyone was focused on. We all worked hard and we worked together. I was a chair then to get them all registered. We still didn't come close to how many had been purged. And by the way, that also meant we weren't using resources to talk to swing voters or register voters because we were doing everything we could to get those unregistered voters back on. So they end up forcing you to burn everything at both ends and it has a massive impact. It's a devastating case study that when they decide to target the electorate that's defeating them, it works. So why did they fail in 20? Well, one reason is this mechanism of voting drop boxes that no one's ever cared about before. Drop boxes are in Anchorage, Alaska. They're in mm -hmm. Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm -hmm. No one cared. But in 20, those drop boxes were disproportionately used by voters of color. So now what are they doing? They targeted the Obama coalition with early vote and purging. Now it's drop boxes. And this is why I reject the notion, we'll just out-organize all this. Of course, we need to organize as hard as we ever have. But the response to voter suppression enacted by law must also be government pushing back right. at the federal level. To just say to your volunteers or future volunteers, just go organize. In some states, that will work. But when it's close enough and the suppression is brutal enough, the greatest volunteer effort in the world is not going to be enough to overcome the kind of suppression we're talking about. So the, the whole point of the book is to say, if we don't start engaging at the state level, ending gerrymandering when we can, but running in every district to at least hold them accountable, th that lack of accountability is how everything else keeps going. And we're seeing that in painful ways in states like Ohio. Well, I know our listeners cannot see me nodding vigorously in agreement with you, David, but 
it is heartbreaking to me on several counts. One, that we have this well-organized, well-funded effort to upend democracy, to seize power, to promote what are truly unpopular, less-than-majority points of view, and that the other side is relentless. And I think it's important for people to understand who's behind this. Where did this really all come from, in your opinion? So it's in convergence of of several things. You know, a lot of it was driven by dollars. The Koch brothers, a a worldview ideology of trickle-down economics that they view any kind of stronger government as a threat to because it's going to pass regulations or enact tax policies that they view takes their dollars and and it goes beyond them. It goes to a broader population. They don't like the, the, the type of economics that, you know, President Clinton led and uh, Democrats always lead on, which is a middle class based economy. They view that as taking from them. That's a big part of it. And that's what's funding. You know, I won't I don't go through all the acronyms, but ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, the Heritage Foundation, the people funding that are largely, you know, people like the Koch brothers, large corporations that view any government interference with their quote unquote economic liberty as a threat. But we also need to acknowledge we have this very sad history of white backlash whenever there's a diverse majority that arises in our country and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to run the show. It happened after the Reconstruction. You know, huge numbers of registered black voters in the South, more black voters than white voters in states like Louisiana. They were electing black mayors and council members and state house speakers and even members of Congress. Backlash was fierce. You know, allegations of voter fraud, violence, and that backlash led to a century of Jim Crow. We saw it, you know, after the civil rights movement and the laws of the 60s, all of a sudden the Southern strategy. We saw it after Obama win. As Isabel Wilkerson writes, Obama winning in many ways was this shock to this world that doesn't want a diverse majority. He symbolized it, that Obama coalition symbolized it. What happens? 2011, boom. They immediately push back. And obviously, the prospect that large numbers of African-American voters in Atlanta and Detroit and Philadelphia elected Biden and Harris also triggers this fierce backlash. So there's economics, but there's also that very somber history. And again, I wrote my book frantically for several reasons. One is I have a five and a seven-year-old, mm-hmm. and I don't want them spending the rest of their lives fighting for a democracy that we lost. Number two, when I look at the history the lessons of what we have to do are so clear from that history that I, I want to write it down and have people read it. Because I think if you see the similarities to what led to not a decade of Jim Crow, but generations of Jim Crow are so stark that if that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. You know, when you concentrate on Ohio, which, you know, is such an important state in every every way, but particularly in elections, as you right. know so well, you really bring it alive and shine a bright spotlight um, on what's happening in your state. And I guess I would have to ask, why are local politicians more invisible to everyday voters than they once were? How much of that is due to the fact that we don't have local newspapers yeah. in most places? We have what are called, you know, news deserts where there are no reporters covering City Hall anymore. It's a huge part of it. I always think about it this way. What are the things that make the Koch brothers happy? And let's figure out <laughs> how to do the opposite, okay? That's a good and question. And what do they love? They love that no one covers state houses. They uh -huh. love that local papers are dying. So that local state rep who everyone used to know, people don't even know what that person's doing. They love that in Ohio, you know, a third of the races, the average margin of victory for a decade was 50% or more, 75, 25. So no one even knew an election was happening. So the point is, yes, what you described is one of the key ways that there's no awareness. State house bureaus are dying. Ohio, by the way, we have a very strong one. There's still a city hall reporter in Cincinnati, but a lot of cities, the state house people are the first to go. It's further away. It's a bigger expense. They have to live up there. And then the local papers just disappearing, not bigger cities, but smaller. Like I said, that means that the coverage of the individual office holder from, you know, Mansfield or from Manchester, no coverage whatsoever. So that combination is bad. And I'll just give a couple other layers for this. You know, one, one other aspect that's often overlooked is that, that a lot of the institutional knowledge of these papers is also getting hollowed out. When you and I you know, would go to newspapers to get endorsements, you, you would have six or seven members of an editorial board. Many of those editorial boards are either gone or down to one person, just like you have you know, the, these long-term columnists that understand state houses, that know what a gerrymandered or a crazy budget looks like, they're all gone. So not only is the coverage of the facts 
much less intense or hardly at all there. But the people can provide a less heated analysis than Twitter or cable who could say right now, which needs to be said, the current attempt to gerrymander Ohio is absurd. Yeah. And don't take it yes. from David Pepper, a Democrat. Take it from us at this paper. We've seen this for 30 years. This is the worst we've ever seen. All that institutional knowledge is also gone because they can't afford it. So if the statehouse business in, in Columbus gets no attention and the elections essentially are predetermined, no one knows what's happening. And here's the worst part. There's a double whammy to this. We now have, because of gerrymandering, an entire generation of both office holders and citizens who essentially don't think of their statehouse politics as a democracy. They've never really had a choice over these things. And that's really damaging long term. Oh, I agree completely. Well, let's switch to the recommendations that you make, because you you end the book, which is so gripping, and I highly recommend it to everyone, but you end with a bunch of strategies to get our states back from being laboratories of autocracy to truly laboratories of democracy, and you reframe the whole discussion uh, that we should be having at the uh, you know, national, state, local, even individual level. So why don't you run through some of those, David? Sure. So let me just, uh, the way I try and frame it is you have one side that has believed that democracy is intact, us, and we generally focus on federal elections to get the substantive outcomes we want, right? And that generally means we go to swing states where we can get our federal majorities for president, Senate, and House. The other side is not battling that battle. They are in a very different battle. Their battle, because they know democracy is inconsistent with their worldview, their battle is against democracy itself. They fight their battle everywhere, every year, at all levels. And as my seven-year-old who plays soccer would, would even observe, if one side's always on offense everywhere, and you're playing in a few states in a few years, who's going to win? Right. They're going to win. They are winning because of this. We have to change our mindset first and foremost. We got to go to where the battle really is, which is where they're taking it, democracy itself. That reframes everything. And I go through all the specific ways everyone can take part. But big picture, what does that mean? First, you adjust your mindset. This is a long game battle. The best near-term example, Stacey Abrams. She knew Georgia was a long struggle for democracy. If she had simply given up every time Georgia was red, we wouldn't have a blue Georgia. Mm -hmm. Even when she didn't quite win the 18 governor's election because of a very tainted process by the opponent, even that day where she stood up and said, I'm not going to be governor, she said, we made progress. She has a long game mindset. Mm -hmm. She knew every voter that voted in her record turnout, every registered voter, every door knock was progress. Two years later, who was right? She was. Exactly. She knew that it was a long game. So change the frame of everything as are you building toward the long game or aren't you? Measure your success accordingly. It also means get out of only thinking about swing states. If you're competing for democracy, no state should not have a democracy. It's guaranteed in the Constitution that everyone have a Republican form of government. Make that real. So we should reframe our political approach, fighting for democracy all over the country. And that also means at all levels, state house, state Supreme Court seats, Secretary of State, no longer let the Koch brothers be the only people focused on these things. Let me put it this way. We love to get excited about the most exciting candidates. You think the Koch brothers care about who's exciting? Mm -mm. No. If you are in a state rep spot and you win, they love you because you're going to do what they say. Well, I love when we have exciting candidates. We all get excited. But when, when it comes to putting our money into races or volunteering, if someone's running for an important seat that could affect democracy, and that could be school board too, as we now know, help them out. Don't just wait for the greatest candidate you've ever seen. One other thing I would say in the battle for democracy, if all we do is focus on swing races in certain states or any states, that's a short game mentality because we are thinking, well, the only thing we're going to measure ourselves on is if we win the five or six swing seats in that state next year. Long game, it's a disaster to leave 30 seats unchallenged in any state right. house. Right. That's 30 places where they never hear our message, mainly in rural parts of these states. It's 30 places where the incumbent never feels accountability, never feels challenged. We have to recruit to run everywhere. We need to celebrate someone running in a gerrymandered district as much as in a swing district. 
They are walking to a race they probably are going to lose. We should celebrate them for stepping up. And again, when you think about it as a long game, all of a sudden that makes perfect sense. 99 people running in Ohio in every district every two years, that's powerful. That's how you win the battle for democracy. That's the best thing for Tim Ryan is if they're 99 House districts. It's the best thing for Stacey Abrams because they're carrying the message. They're lifting turnout. If all you care about is this federal game and you don't worry about democracy, you'll never support those non-swing candidates. You won't even recruit them. You know, I cannot help but uh, underscore that by saying it's been one of my real disappointments that Democratic donors, Democratic political consultants, Democratic activists, Democratic voters are so focused on the immediate, uh, the flashy, who's the candidate of the moment. And we haven't had people on our side of the political divide invest in media. The other side certainly has, as we know very well. They haven't invested in the kind of institutions that you mentioned, like ALEC, that uh, has helped to put really regressive legislative agendas through state uh, legislatures across the country. They are so candidate-focused, and yeah. it's mostly a very narrow group of candidates who attract their money and their attention, and it's almost the opposite of playing the long game. So I could not agree with you more. Well, before we wrap up, I have to ask you, how do we inspire young people to actually get in that arena and run for these offices? And as you rightly point out, run for every one of them. Yeah. I mean, I think we reframe it as the broader battle for democracy. We have to say to these young people, don't let the last 10 years make you think that politics can't be about good public service. You know, there's a reason why back in the day, a John Glenn wanted to be in politics. Right. It was a noble right. pursuit. It's how you change the world for the good. It was patriotic. And we're seeing right now a whole army of people like Josh Mandel in Ohio or Josh oh, Hawley gosh. running for the worst reasons. And so I think we have to find people and say, not long ago, this was where you went if you wanted to make a difference. And and then frame it all as a much broader battle for democracy than it currently is seen. And we have to all do this with funders and voices. We need to celebrate everyone who runs. That itself is a victory for democracy. They just gave people a choice that those rigging these elections didn't want them to have. We need to come up with mechanisms to say to every one of these people who runs, we're not just gonna encourage you to run, we're gonna mm -hmm. lift you. We gotta take the billions that are spent in presidential races and smooth it out over four years over the entire country. So when we ask someone to run and we celebrate the patriotism of them running, we also back it up with support. So right. it's gotta be frame it better, but once you're in, we're still there. And if you lose, which many will lose in Jerryman District, we don't walk away. Democrats walk away from people who lose, and it's terrible. I <laughs> some of my favorite, some of my favorite people in Ohio that I keep uh -huh. up with all the time were uh -huh. veterans or people who, who were the first in their family to go to college who ran in impossible districts. Because of their runs, they actually lifted other people to victory, to state house or somewhere else. We need to say to them, that victory is partly because of you and we're gonna keep going with you because you did something that was really tough. Mm -hmm. In a long game, every election, even if you lose, if you do it right, is additive to the next election. More voters voted, more voters registered. And we have to surround all these candidates with that kind of thinking versus thanks for running. You're not in a swing district, so you don't get support. And after you lose, it's like you never ran. That's a guaranteed long-term failure. We have to change all that. And I think then we'll get a lot more people interested. I agree with that 100%, David Pepper. I'm so happy to talk with you today. And I'm so grateful that you are out there in the arena every day with your speaking and your writing and your advocacy and everything you've been doing, not only in Ohio, but around uh, the world. Thank you very much. This was an honor to speak with you. David Pepper's book is called Laboratories of Autocracy, and you can follow him on Twitter for regular updates from the front lines of this crucial battle for our country's future.
Well, that conversation is the perfect setup for me to introduce you to someone whom I really like and admire. Her name is Lena Hidalgo. She lives in Texas. And in 2018, at the ripe age of 27, she ran for and was elected Harris County judge. Now, Harris County is where Houston is, one of the biggest of all cities in our country. And Lena beat a three-time incumbent, becoming the first woman and first Latina to hold that office. Since then, she's demonstrated time and again that voters made the right choice. In 2020, Lena was featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for her achievements in setting fairer tax rates and implementing disaster relief initiatives. And in 2021, she won a John F. Kennedy New Frontiers Award for all of her initiatives around COVID relief. I was so delighted to be speaking with her about her life and her service and what she's seeing on the ground in the battleground state of Texas. I want to start on a really basic level, uh, Lena, asking you, what is a county judge? What does it do in Texas? I think people understand what a mayor is or even a governor, but a county judge, especially for such a big county like Harris County, is a, a new term for some of our listeners. Absolutely. It's sort of a misnomer. You hear judge and you think, you know, a judicial role, mm -hmm. deciding on the outcomes of court cases. That is not this role. Uh, the county judge in Texas is the county executive. And so I am the county executive for Harris County, which is the third largest county in the country. It is larger than 26 states, about the population of Colorado. So uh, <laughs> we've got we've got 4.7 million people, um, home to Houston, that's our largest city, and 33 smaller cities. And I help manage the budget, about a $5 billion budget, roads, bridges, flood control libraries, our jail, our justice system, um, parks, you name it. But there's also a whole lot of good that can be done on top of that with that budget. So that's part of what I've been focused on. Um, but so it's it's me and, and four commissioners. We form the board that controls the budget for this huge county. Well, I want to go back a little bit and learn more about you. You were born in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, in 1991, which is to say you are 30 years old and came <laughs> to the United States uh, with your family in 2005. And by 2018, you were running for high office. Now, give us a little bit of the journey that you made to get to where you are today. I will. And Secretary, I'll spoil the ending, which is you have a lot to do with it. You know, <laughs> so I was born in Colombia during the drug war and it was kidnappings and bombs blocks from our house. Of course, my parents wanted to keep us safe. My dad got a job in Peru, and that was about the time that Fujimori was president. He was later indicted, convicted for corruption and other, other charges. So then we moved to Mexico, as well a period of a lot of political upheaval, corruption, etc. By the time we moved to Texas, government was the last thing I wanted anything to do with. I was just cynical about it. Um, and my parents sent me to public school, the one that was assigned to, to our area. And I was just horrified because before I'd watched them sort of make such an effort to keep me in private schools in Latin America. I could tell that was like the one thing that if we sacrificed everything else, they wanted to make sure I went to private school. Well, I show up to public school here and it was an incredible school, tennis courts, film room, newspaper, um, dissecting pigs in biology class. And so <laughs> I began to ask, as an aside, obviously not all uh, public schools are, are that fantastic, but look, just the possibility is something that I could not contemplate back mm -hmm. then. So I begin to ask, what is it that makes government work that makes it accountable, makes it deliver. And I studied that at Stanford. I went to work on, on promoting good government, free expression abroad, and um, thought I'd work sort of outside the system, beating it into shape as an activist, as a civil rights attorney. And then the 2016 election happened. I was in the middle of grad school. Uh, I was at, at NYU and, and Harvard at the Kennedy School. And 
your incredible strength, your incredible dignity, power, and my seeing if someone like Donald Trump can win and can run, why can't I? And mm -hmm. it felt more dire than ever. So I'm one of thousands of women that you inspired to say, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to see this through. I run unopposed secretary because people were so scared of the status quo here deep in the heart of Texas. Yes. And nobody thought we could win. And we won. And since then, we have changed so much. And so what I want to, I hope I can convey today to folks is change has happened in Texas. Change can happen in Texas. And it is so happening that they're coming at us with relentless attacks and cruelty. But it's because of our success. And we are undaunted. I love that, Lena, because that is exactly what I have watched from afar uh, from the time that you got elected. Um, you were, by the way, a Run for Something candidate, a group that I have supported through my umbrella group, Onward Together. What did you learn about yourself when you started running for county judge in 2018? Just the resiliency that, that we all have, you mm -hmm. know, I can't tell mm -hmm. you how many meetings I had where people looked at me and, and I'm sitting here in front of you. I'd like to pretend <laughs> I'm 5'2", but really I'm 5'1 and three quarters. And, um, and so, you know, people would just kind of look me up and down and said, you, you know, you want mm -hmm. to be the executive of this county? It had always been a man, of course, needless mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, there'd never been a woman. And never uh, anyone Latina or Latino. No. And the five-member board, there had only ever been one woman elected mm -hmm. um, for one of the commissioner seats. Now, these, these county leadership seats are ones that don't normally switch hands in competitive elections. It, historically, it's been when he dies or is convicted mm -hmm. of a crime or <laughs> retires and appoints a, a pal. And mm -hmm. so um, it was a lot of that's very cute, sort of bless her heart, you know? Yes, yes. Um, but there were groups like Run for Something and others who said, you know, we need to support this change. And, and a lot of people were behind us. And I learned that that is how change is achieved. You can never be sure. You can do everything right and still lose. You can that's do everything right. wrong and still mm. win. But for many people, it's beyond their wildest dreams that this could be done. And it was so worth it. Just, just because of the policies we've implemented. Well, you've emphasized transparent, accountable government, um, and you've made such a difference already. You had the first ever open transition process. You had seven town hall meetings. You did a survey of your constituents. Uh, you've ensured that these commissioners uh, meet where actual community members are attending. I mean, you've really opened up the process. And I think that's made a difference, don't you? Absolutely. Before we got here, these billions of dollars, right, $5 billion annually, were distributed in meetings that lasted 45 minutes every two weeks. Um, the budget process was whatever we gave them last year, plus 2% for inflation. Most notably, and, and many folks may not know this, it's very common in the states where laws against this don't exist for local elected officials to fund their campaigns with contributions from the contractors that do business with very their locality. Common. Absolutely. So that's not just Harris County or just Texas, it's cities and county governments. So just imagine, right? We build these roads, these bridges, these buildings. It's enormously expensive projects, millions and sometimes billions. And then you see the coffers. There was just a, an expose in the Houston Chronicle where 70 plus percent of the contributions come from these uh, contractors. So it was so funny because, you know, when I was running, I needed fundraising help and, and groups like Run for Something and others, of course, the community you know, helped us raise the funds we needed. But the, the sort of lead fundraisers in town, they wouldn't give me the time of day. Right when we won, 
I won't name names, but there was one in particular, <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and this person said, okay, I'll do the fundraising for you now. And I said, well, the thing is, I feel uncomfortable taking contributions from people who do business with Harris County or who want to do business with Harris County. And then this person said, never mind. And I haven't talked to them since. And, <laughs> but you know what? We've shown that it can be done. And then, you know, to your point about just the policymaking, it's co-governance. So as we said, policy, be it home homelessness, be it disaster recovery, be it veterans, we invite community members to design the actual program to the decision-making table. And sometimes that means we say, look, for XYZ reason, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. It's mm-hmm. not as important on the priority list. So it's an honest conversation, but I've found there are great ideas we would have never come up with. I love hearing that because I think you've figured out a way to get people involved at every stage of the process. But I also think that your success, both your success being elected and your success in governing, is one of the many reasons why the Texas state government is trying to uh, restrict voters' uh, access to the polls, trying to make it harder to vote. What are you seeing uh, happening on that front? Well, they're scared. You know, they're mm-hmm. scared. And we've made change, and it's good change. Largest environmental investment in 30 years, reducing the homeless population by a 1,000 in the middle of this pandemic, so on and so forth. One of the things we did, and folks might remember this in the 2020 elections, um, it was Harris County that was in the news about 24-hour voting and drive-through voting and incredible turnout. We are having friendly competition with Georgia because we said, well, we have half the population in Harris County of the state of Georgia, but we had just as much turnout that first day of, of early vote, I remember. And it's because we, we put in uh, $17 million for the most accessible, obviously secure elections, Mm -hmm. Um, record turnout of both parties. And that made me very proud. And actually, it was a heavily Republican area, uh, which most used drive-through voting since then in the election that we had before it was banned. So, you know, fast forward to 2021, when the state legislature met, they meet every two years. They made it a point to continue the pandering that Donald Trump, of course, had started about the election. In Mm -hmm. practical terms, what that means is now in Texas, a partisan poll watcher can stand as close as they want to a voter as the voter is casting their vote. And the statute says as close as they need to see and hear. So they determine how close that is. Is this to intimidate voters? Is this to to say, I'm watching you, I'm going to know who you voted for? There's even been recordings that were found from far-right Republican activists saying, you know, we have to go. They identified the Hispanic and African-American areas of town and said, this is where we have to focus our poll watching. And I think, you know, folks have just been told over and over and over again, you know, these are the same folks that stormed the Capitol based on these lies. Mm -hmm. So it's the same fervor that is being spun into people here to say there's fraud, you got to go. And the other thing that we've seen recently, there's more to this. At some point, they tried to ban voting before 10 a.m. on Sundays. Of course, souls to the polls, right? That didn't make it through, but they tried with a straight face. The other thing that we are seeing now is they added sort of a a web of technicalities to register and particularly request a mail-in ballot. So we're having to flag around 30% of mail ballot applications for rejection. And we're helping folks try to cure their ballots, send the information they need, but many counties don't have the resources Mm or won't, right? More fundamentally though, Secretary, the concern is every time you cry wolf, every time you call for a phony audit, every time you claim fraud, you're weakening the democratic principles behind our country. You're weakening faith in our democracy. One of my commissioners even, he refused to certify the 2021 November election because there was a power outage. That's a very scary thing that we're pushing back against. We'll be right back. There's plenty to celebrate in March and
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. But the six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. You know, beyond voting rights, it seems like Texas is becoming an incubator for a lot of regressive ideas. Um, you've got, obviously, the new uh, restrictive abortion law, but also laws that are being introduced to pull hundreds of books off the shelves of school libraries. Uh, how do you think these kinds of um, ideas get supported so that they are put into law, uh, approved by a governor? And how do you fight back on that level where it's more diffuse than, you know, in one county in your state? The banning of the books, you're referring to something that is taking hold across Texas and, and other states as well with this pandering around critical race theory, et cetera. And it is very diffuse. 
we saw school board candidates this past election, November 2021, several long-serving, it's nonpartisan, but generally they were Democrats, you sort of knew they were, uh, school board trustees defeated by far-right school board candidates who were supported by national groups very clearly. And they were, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anti-vaxxers and they were espousing this kind of, you know, January 6th type mentality. And so there is a very organized effort to support that kind of candidate. One of those folks who was just elected this past November recently in a school board meeting very clearly intimated that more African-American teachers leads to more dropouts. And we had a big movement with the NAACP and other national leaders to fight back against this. So what do you do? Number one is call out this kind of mm -hmm. uh, racism that is now, it's always been under the surface, but is now more, uh, seems to be that many people feel emboldened to just say this kind of stuff. Number two, organize. Groups like Run for Something, so many groups that support candidates at all levels. This past two years have made us realize your elections administrator, your, your clerk, uh, your sheriff, your county executive, those are crucial positions. You have got to make sure if you donate, if you volunteer, if you organize, that you focus on those races. That's absolutely crucial because the other side is doing that too. And then the third piece I'll say is, you know, we can't feed into this divisiveness, right? So I always try to talk about sort of the far right. You know, I serve, but I serve everyone, Democrats and Republicans. I work on flood control projects everywhere. I work on vaccinations everywhere, making sure they're done in a way that is fair. And so we need to take a moment and understand, okay, these folks are being told that their children will be frightened and traumatized for life by learning this critical race theory. Okay, let's unpack that. So it's to mm -hmm. say, look, we're not promoting that. We don't know. The goal is not to traumatize the children. So meet them where they're at, as opposed to saying, oh, that's a college course. You don't know what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. folks are not coming from a bad place. Everyone's just in an echo chamber. I think that makes uh, great sense. And you mentioned vaccination. You you ran a very highly regarded vaccination program in Harris County that seemed to get results, whereas in a lot of places there was much more confusion and divisiveness. Talk a little bit about how you set that up and how you and your team made it successful. So, you know, we'll see what the listeners can remember from when they first got their vaccine. But a lot of what we were hearing from around the nation and, and around here is it was sort of like the Hunger Games, right? Like you needed to <laughs> um, make sure that you knew which website and, and get the latest mm -hmm. intelligence on when to click register. And then you had to wait in line. And, mm -hmm. you know, lucky you if you had a pal who's a doctor. Um, <laughs> so we really wanted to to move past that and have something that was that was fair that had equity built in. So we had a, a, a randomized system. It was via phone, so you didn't need a computer. You could register in all kinds of languages. Harris County is, is one of the, if not the most diverse county um, in the country, and so many languages. And then folks were selected at random with additional entries for the people who were older or had pre-existing conditions or this kind of thing. But you know, with everything we do, we try to see even the, the funds we've given for landlords and for renters and um, just support on all kinds of issues, most recently on crime, where we focus our programs is where the data tells us, you know, this is where there's the most crime. This is where there's the most underinvestment. It's mm -hmm. not about who has a buddy downtown or, you know, what's the latest group that's freshest on your mind. And maybe that loses me some political alliances, but I don't think it necessarily does. People see the work. Either. And I think I'm setting a tone. I know I am. And I hope mm -hmm. that more folks come into government who are sort of don't feel compelled to adopt the ickiness of government. And what I've learned over this past three years I've been in office is it's not naive to say, you know, I don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. Apply through this, you know, apply through this committee and we'll see. And and people get it and they stop kind of asking you for icky things. And you can actually, <laughs> you know, you can do good stuff like that. I think that's a, a slogan for your next campaign. Get the icky out of <laughs> politics, right? Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we hear 
only the negative um, about what's going on at the state level, one outrage after another. So what advice would you give someone who, you know, maybe might want to get involved, but is only seeing the negative, seeing the icky, they're not sure that it's for them? How would you make the case that um, people like you, Lena, people with energy and a positive approach and good common sense, you know, should get involved in politics and government? One thing I think about a lot is we have ups and downs, and, and the downs are heartbreaking many times, but the other side is not giving up, so we can't either. You know, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. I'll give you an example. We have funded criminal justice reform, but also a lot of crime-fighting initiatives, and we try to do really smart things, so I don't want to contribute to mass incarceration 2.0, but it's been record levels of funding. And they still say I defunded the police. Mm. And, you know, my detractors are over here saying I'm releasing violent criminals. So there's people that really believe this, you know. And, and of mm -hmm. course, it's scary, something as scary as violence. So folks, you know, the vitriol and the nastiness of folks that really think I'm out there as part of some conspiracy to cause crime, right? You know how this goes. And, and to be able to walk through that with your he head held high is important. And anyone who jumps into this, they need to fully expect that there's going to be something like this. But that's mm -hmm. a reason to prevail is so this cynical bullshit, frankly, doesn't win, right? That's so right. that we can be civil and disagree on policy, but not this kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I did not think I'd have to deal with a, a pandemic and floods and fires <laughs> and a winter storm. But I'll tell you, it is so worth it giving early childhood education to kids, um, keeping somebody safe from domestic violence, keeping someone off the streets. My God, it's just it's setting a community up for for competitiveness for a generation. So, you know, it is so worth it. It is not easy, but they're not giving up either. So let's keep going. Oh, a woman after my own heart. I love that, Lena. And you're 100% right. I mean, if you believe that things can be better, people can have access to a better life, that we can work together to achieve common goals, you can't give up in the face of relentless criticism and negativity. And I know that's true about you. I am so happy to talk to you today. And I'm so proud, Secretary, that you're in this fight still. <laughs> so many of us, I just have to say it as I face these attacks, you know, I think of you um, and I hope that folks get a picture of me cheering them on as well. <laughs> and we could have a big group here of pushing for positive change. Thank you for including me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Judge Lena Hidalgo. Keep up with this rising star from the Lone Star State, you can follow Judge Lena Hidalgo on Twitter. And if my conversations with Lena and David have got you thinking about how you can help strengthen our democracy, you know, there are so many ways to do your part. Run for something, whether it's for your school board, your city council, or some other local office. As Lena told us, and as she has demonstrated, it's worth it. Or support local candidates with your time, your money, or your big Instagram following. Show up at a local meeting. Let your representatives know that they have to answer for their decisions. And make sure, please, that you and everyone you know is registered to vote and that your registration is up to date. Don't get purged or dropped off the rolls. As David reminded us, we've got to get better at playing the long game so that together we can make our states, once again, vital laboratories of democracy. You and Me Both is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We're produced by Julie Subrin, Kathleen Russo, and Rob Russo, with help from Huma Abedin, Oscar Flores, Lindsay Hoffman, Brianna Johnson, Nick Merrill, Laura Olin, Lona Valmoro, and Benita Zaman. Our engineer is Zach McNeese, and the original music is by Forrest Gray. If you like You and Me Both, please tell someone else about it. 
And if you're not already a subscriber, what are you waiting for? You can subscribe to You and Me Both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you gotta get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.